Hey, everybody. I want to welcome you again to the Before You Quit podcast, where we want to bring courage and perspective when serving gets hard. And man, does it get hard sometimes. That's why we do what we do in these podcasts. My name is Mitch Schultz, and I'm the director of a ministry called Fruitful Vine Ministry, and I'm also your host for these podcasts. Uh, hey, it's been a while since I've actually posted one. In fact, during the summer, I think I'll put one out each month rather than the usual every two weeks. Uh, some of that has to do with uh, busyness in some other areas, but also uh, uh, continuing to work on new subjects and new people to contact and interview. And I do have quite a few. I just have not had the time to connect with them. And uh, so do, uh, do stay in tune. Uh, keep up to date with what's going on. Uh, hey, have you ever wondered why there's often conflict in the church? That is exactly what we're going to be talking about today. It's going to be a very specific, rather narrow subject today. Uh, on the surface, you would think, and I, I'm sure you probably have considered this before. If not, I think it's it's worth considering because it's rather intriguing that uh, when we come together for a common purpose in church, uh, 100 of us, 200 of us, whatever size congregation you have, we do, do so with a, a common purpose. We're all there really for one thing, and that's to worship and serve Jesus and fellowship with one another. And you'd think since we're there for a higher calling, a higher objective like that, that we would got get all get along, right? Uh, but it's often not that way. Either you've heard stories of churches where there is a, a high level of conflict, or perhaps you have experienced that yourself. And one reason, I'm just scratching the surface on this, we'll get below the surface in our interview today, uh, but one of the reasons I think we we underestimate the impact of people gathering together for that singular goal and expecting to get along, but in reality, there's a good chance we would not get with those people that we meet with on Sunday or whatever day we gather together in any other uh, context or setting. Uh, the reason we're with these people is because of our common interest in serving and worship Je- worshiping Jesus. Uh, so again, we gather with people that in any other setting we might not necessarily, because we don't have as much in common with each other, uh, we might not necessarily get together. Uh, and I think that, again, scratching the surface, that's one of the reasons why I think we have conflict. Well, in this podcast episode of Before You Quit, I want to look deeper at this subject, and I want to look at the origins of conflict. Uh, but also, we're going to talk about what to do with it. We will, in this conversation, talk about the value that there is in conflict. Conflict is not always bad. It can be good for us. It can be good for a church. Well, I have some excellent help in having that conversation today. It was about a year ago that I interviewed Pastor Steve Karhoulis on the subject of gauging the right time to leave a church. And uh, if you remember, if you listen to that, we titled that podcast, Should I Stay or Should I Go? And you can go to our website and listen to that one again. Just scroll through and you'll find that. Well, Steve is back. And together, we're going to have a good talk that we believe will be of tremendous help to you on the, on the subject of conflict. And we'll be uh, certainly trying to, to get along as we do that. <laughs> but let's go ahead and jump into that now. All right, I'm on the Skype, uh, no, not Skype, Zoom uh, conferencing call with my good friend Steve Karhoulis. Steve, how are you? I'm doing well, man. How are good. you doing? Yeah, I'm, I'm well, thank you. Um, I 
have interviewed you one time before. We People can go back to that episode where you talked about uh, something r- related to when it's time to move on. And uh, so you shared your story and gave great perspective yes. on when pastors and, and ministry leaders should really consider, uh, you know, the timing of leaving, particularly when things are, are healthy, but also unhealthy. And uh, what we're going to do today is talk about the, the title, very simple here, uh, why is there conflict in the church? <laughs> now, if we can figure that one out, we could make some money, I guess, couldn't we, Steve? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Tell tell us. Yeah. Uh, you're you're uh, you're retired from pastoring, uh, of, not really officially, but uh, you you left your church up in Cashers, North Carolina, where you and I had had worked together for some years with that plant. And uh, you are now up in the Northeast. Bless your heart. I'm sorry. I I hope the weather is getting a lot better. But just real briefly, what are you doing now? And uh, talk to us a little bit about you know, just the journey that got you there. You know, I, I don't think I retired. I think I transitioned. Yeah, yeah. And I transitioned from um, a kind of ministry to another type of ministry. I'm with a ministry called IPM, Interim Pastoral Ministry. It started in 1990. It started out uh, because of a need in the church for a different kind of interim. And in 95, uh, it started to really grow and it had uh, 23 pastors serving 16 churches. And now, uh, with the, the able ministry of Dr. Tom Harris, who is our president. We have about 80 pastors uh, serving around the country. And the mission is, uh, it, it's the mission of every pastor really is to strengthen the church. But our, we, we're more intentional. So it's strengthening the church during pastoral transition for greater effectiveness. That's what we want to see. Is it generally when a church is going through tough times or not necessarily? Most of the time, yes. Most of the time. Most okay, of the time. so great, uh, great segue to to our topic here. So you were you you re, you transitioned. In fact, I think you had a, a last Sunday, and within two weeks, you were uh, you were up there starting within, that work within five days. Within five days, <laughs> yeah. Well, you you don't want to let any grass grow around your feet, do you? You are a go getter, restless person, would you say? Or uh, I think um, intentional. Mm-hmm. Let's go from one thing to the other. I don't like yeah, wasting yeah. time. Yeah. Now you did share with me once, though, when you go on vacation, sometimes you came home early because you were bored. <laughs> That's right. Two week vacation. Came home in five days. Five days. Oh my goodness. Okay. Well, maybe another time I can put on my counseling hat and we can process that one, Steve. Um, but let, let's go ahead and jump in into the point here. Again, I, I I think it was good just briefly to set up uh, what you're doing now because you you have been in a church where there has been uh, now in a church that had experienced conflict. It's why. Uh, you are there, but in the past also you've you know you've experienced conflict. In the last podcast, we talked about that. Um, let's just get really pointed here. Why does conflict exist in the church? I think, um, of course, a lot of it has to do with the fact that there are people in the church. I mean, where you have uh, people, you can have opinions, you can have ideas, mm-hmm. and often out of um, strong opinions will come conflict and. Uh, what we do with conflict is important, and often what happens is we let it go from a small, small fire to a bigger fire. We blow, we blow a lot of wind on it, so when it gets out of control, and um, we let it get out of hand, so to speak. And because of that, 
a conflict can be a good experience or it can be a very bad experience with a lot of spilling over into yeah. the lives of a lot of people. Yeah, and we'll and we'll be talking about that. When when is it good? When is it bad? Sure. Um, okay, I want to I want to just peel some layers off this. You say conflict exists obviously because of people, and you're you're putting. Uh, th- this is always fascinating me about church. I, I look around when I'm at a church. I did the same when I was pastoring, and many most of the people that I felt like after some years I knew quite well. I only ever saw them at church. So I I only knew them in the context of this hour, two hours, this particular, you know, context of worship. And what's always struck me, this is this is kind of my point. I love your reaction to this, that you're bringing together a lot of people who are so different from each other, who probably in an in another setting would never get together to socialize or to mingle or or to work together, but as soon as they come to church, they have one thing in common, and that is Jesus, the desire to worship Jesus, and desire to fellowship with Him. But they're so different from each other, and and again, they very a lot of people you see you would not get together in another context. And so, how do you see that as does explaining the cause of conflict in the church? Sure, I think uh, people bring to the table layers of experience, their own experience, Mm -hmm. um, their own ideas. Something may have worked over here, and then they want it to work over here, and they want it to work as well over here, um, but they forget that there are other people over here that maybe do not have their experience. Mm -hmm. So what I think one of the things that happens is we become impatient with people. We become impatient with, you know, and that, that lack of patience um, creates um, uh, impatience, creates emotion in us, in our heart. And, um, and, and sometimes, and I think oftentimes, it, it really is an indication of a lack of maturity uh, as, a, as a Christian, lacking maturity. You know, the Bible talks about how we're to, to love one another, to uh, think about others more highly than ourselves. And that loving and, and that kind of behavior and attitude towards other people really comes out of maturity. So I think what conflict can do is it can reveal a lack of maturity in us or in other people. Oh, that's, that's, a, that's a really good point. All right, so you have, uh, again, question is why does conflict happen in the church? Because there's people. Uh, I mentioned that you have people coming together for a common cause. They have little in common with each other. Yep. So oftentimes that uh, it's unex- it, it's surprising when there's conflict, but when you really think about it, you know, if you if you ask the family down the neighborhood to move in your house, you would probably have conflict w- within a certain amount of time, sure. and that's kind of what's happening in church. You have people that you don't see, you would have little in common with, suddenly showing up, and you're meant to do the same thing together, and. Uh, and if they're not prepared for that or aware of those stark differences between each other, it can lead to, to conflict. Yeah, maturity. I love what you say that conflict sometimes highlights or exposes uh, immaturity. Um, another thing I think causes conflict is that it is, let me try to, to word this in a way, maybe if you could give me an example of it, if you can. That it's um it, it's it's kind of a it's a sensitive environment it's a spiritual environment it's it's the kind of environment where we get together and we 
we, we suspend our daily activities where we've stopped working. We come and there's, there's kind of a high expectation that this is a, a, uh, a war free zone. You know, it's a sanctuary city. Can I say that? <laughs> and, um, and so when, when something, you know, someone says something to someone else, it, uh, it kind of, uh, it, it disent, it's disenchanting. It's like, oh my goodness, this is church. It's a spiritual environment and we're involved in a spiritual activity and this shouldn't happen here. You know, or so-and-so shouldn't have said things the way they did or with a harsh tone. What's your thought on that? Well, I say, yes, you're right. I think, um, I think unrealistic expectations uh, cause great problems. I mean, ca- we know they cause problems in marriage where a young person um, has these unrealistic expectations that she's going to be this and he's going to be that. And then when uh, the reality sets in, they, what happens is that unrealized expectation leads to disillusionment. And when we become disillusioned, like in the church, what, what often happens is uh, disillusionment is a process that leads to death. Uh, something dies when we become disillusioned. That's why I, I like to talk about this confidence quotient where we need to keep that up high as uh, leadership in the church, pastors and elders, leaders, deacons need to keep their uh, the confidence quotient up high because there is this tendency to become disillusioned especially in the life of, of people who are not fully developed followers of Jesus. So I agree with you. Yeah. The, uh, the church I pastored where I experienced probably the, the hardest uh, levels of tension and conflict, uh, when, it, when it reached kind of a, a crescendo or it, it, was, it was ongoing, it was manifesting itself in, in different ways, um, I remember a number of people coming to me and, and say, we, we love you, we like it here, but, but we, just can't, we just can't handle this conflict. And so they, they would leave, yes. and, um, and that did not help. And it was, it was hard to really sit and talk with people about the importance of sticking it out that, hey, you're going to go somewhere else, there's likely going to be conflict there. Um, we're, I'm actually going to get back to the question, or in a, in a few moments I'll ask the question, that how do you prepare a church when there is no conflict for when there will be conflict? Because I think that can be part of the nurturing, uh, biblically, a way to, to be prepared for conflict and how to handle it when it happens. Um, but let me ask you this first. What, why does conflict so often go bad? I think conflict goes bad because, um, you know, the Bible says, be angry, but don't sin. Mm -hmm. I think that when we're in conflict with somebody, you know, the next verse is really a powerful verse. It says, be angry, but don't sin. Do not give the devil an opportunity. So I think conflict that's unresolved is because our anger is such that we're unwilling to resolve it. So the Bible says, okay, get your emotions out. Be angry. But do not sin, which means do not be unwilling to resolve the conflict. And so often what conflict does is it creates bigger conflict because of an unwillingness to resolve the lesser conflict. Mm -hmm. And that is a sin, serious sin in the church. It's division in the church that uh, it's, um, I think not only is it a difficulty uh, within the church, but it's a difficulty within the heart of God. How can conflict be good? Well, I think conflict, you know, I was thinking about this. Conflict is good. You know, um, uh, one writer said uh, conflict is um, 
is a growth experience. I love that. So when you have conflict, it should be a, a growth experience. So for, for first of all, conflict, it allows people to communicate their, their differences or their opinions about a situation. It should be within an environment that, that tolerates other ideas. I mean, your idea is good, but it may not be the best. Conflict allows other ideas that might trump your idea and uh, to, to come out. Yeah, that's good. And, and I'm, I'm thinking of that in, in 1 Corinthians 12, I think beginning in verse 12, it, it talks about how we are one body with many parts. And it's the many parts that, uh, you know, uh, reminds us that we are all different. There's many of us, we're, we're parts, we're individuals, we have our own history, we have our own view of things, our own opinions that we bring with us. But it's the one body, so we're one body with many parts, 1 Corinthians 12, 12 says. And um, I think conflict is good when it helps us to understand that we are part of this body called the body of Jesus Christ, that we, you know, the church collectively makes up the body of Christ. And, uh, and sometimes conflict is a good time to, to, to remind us of that, that this is a, a spiritual organism, institution. Do you have any examples of where you've seen, of, you've seen conflict that's been uh, actually turned out to be really good and strengthening? I, I've got one or two myself that I'd like to share, but uh, let you go first. Certainly. I think um, conflict is good because it, it clarifies issues, clarifies things for us um, mm-hmm. we, we might not be aware of. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a light showing up on the dashboard, isn't it? It's a, that's right. It is. Say there's something not right here and it lets you visit the, the bigger issue and that's, that's the machine, if you will, you know? Yes. Yeah. You know, I've seen um, conflict uh, uh, become a real positive thing where people who are conflicted are willing to sit down with each other and work it through. Such such blessings come out of that. So, so many other things come out of that. Uh, so conflict gives the opportunity to sit down and to work through whatever the issue is in the hopes of reconciliation. So mm-hmm. how do you have you know, reconciliation? cannot occur without the conflict occurring. And so the reconciliation is really an opportunity that is presented to us as we deal with conflict. When you think about coming to Christ, when you come to know the Lord, you're conflicted. You have this conflict mm-hmm. in your heart. You feel guilty. And what? And then you, so to speak, sit down with the Lord, and you, you, he will let you know that you are, in fact, guilty, and you have yeah. broken the laws. And here, But we're going to to uh, resolve this. There's going to be a, a reconciliation and he shows us how. Yeah. I've got two examples of this. One, I'll, I'll be very broad about this because it's, it's more personal. But in the, in the last year, uh, our family went through a, an issue that we had to really talk out. Uh, there was a, a kind of a level of tension and conflict there. And doing so allowed us to really listen to one another and to grow from one another's, uh, you know, uh, uh, impact, not knowing that they had been impacted by, by someone else in the family. And it brought about a greater depth in, in the family. And uh, so I think that's an example. Again, the church is a family, you know, our, our own families. Uh, I think we see that played out a lot. Another one is a, a church that I was at in the Midwest. There, there was a, a group of people who were petitioning against the worship 
the music. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I know that's unfamiliar to you, that ever happening, but uh, it did in one church in the Midwest. <laughs> and, uh, and, and they were, you know, these people were doing it sort of discreetly, you know. We would, we would even see them meeting in, in the lobby and uh, getting to sign things. And, and so I was given the responsibility to approach the ringleader of this and reprimanded him in a, in a very loving way. And, and I honestly can say I've only seen this happen a handful of times, if even that. I might come up with two other scenarios. But this man, as soon as he was approached and um, you know, slightly rebuked, he felt so overwhelmed with, with remorse that he says, whatever you're asking me to do for discipline, I'm, I want to do it. And, and it, it stopped that movement, but it also, he, we asked him to stop teaching for six months because he was an influential teacher. And, um, and, and the way it brought the church together, unified around a vision, uh, was just remarkable. But again, this is one man who responded in a godly way to conflict. That's when conflict is good, when there's sorrow, sin, repentance, and a desire for reconciliation. Yes. And that's why maturity is so important. Yeah, yeah. Why discipleship is so important. To to bring a person to that level, that's rare and unusual, but it should be mm-hmm. usual. But it's rare and unusual, and it's why the, the church is so conflicted. And it, yeah. it really goes back to the fact that we have um, disciples who are not um, being transformed, changed, fully devoted uh, followers of Jesus. Yeah, and you're—I don't know how comfortable you are sharing about your situation, but um, how have you seen healing in the year or two that you've been there in the in the conflict there? Yeah, when well, when I got here, I shared with one of the deacons, I and I was uh, real honest about this. I said, I think uh, the church is on life support. It uh, will either die or it'll. It'll be resurrected. That made you a hospice chaplain, didn't it, for yeah, a while? That's what I was. Make make the dying process as comfortable as possible. Yeah. So either or, either I was gonna we we're gonna bring healing, or we we're gonna bring or we we're gonna have a funeral. I think uh, the process that we put the church through in the this to try to resolve conflict was um, first to connect with people, to develop relationships, build relationships with people, um, get to know them better. So we interviewed every person in the church, spent time with them, uh, got to pray with them and love on them. And I did that for several months. And then we, you have to look in the rearview mirror. At a church, churches have to look in the rearview mirror. That is, you have to discover reality. What, what is really going on here? And uh, we put together a team of people with each other, look in the rearview mirror, look at history, write stuff down, because, um, you know, there, I keep telling them there are no healthy secrets. You've got mm. to get things out, get it out so you can get over it. So then we did that for a while. Then we look in the, the we're looking now front, we're looking through the windshield, facilitating actions, and we wrote down what are things we need in this church? How can we improve this church? What can we do? And um, it was interesting because I had suggested a solemn assembly where we would come together and, and things would come out and open. And, and one of the elders wisely said, we're beyond that. I mm. he, he felt mm. like that that had happened and that that was, uh, had taken place and was taking place and that to do it corporately was to bring us back into a situation where we were kind of starting over. And so I said, okay, if, if you think we've gotten That's beyond that, Mm. Um, it, we haven't needed to do it. So then we had this 
addressing needs of the church, you know, facilitating action. And then, of course, you have to, we broke the team up, the church up into teams where we have six teams and they're facilitating action. They're looking at particular areas of the church. So now out of conflict came a new church. I mean, literally, we rewrote the Constitution. We added um, elders. They are um, uh, starting the process for their pastoral search. All these good things. So conflict, working through it, literally created a new church. Okay, so you didn't, let me ask you this. So you, you, you did not have a solemn assembly because they believed they were past that. But prior to that, that people reconcile with each other uh-huh. and if they so thought, what was the, what was the context in which that happened was there any public confession or was this just with mediation with you and maybe some of the leaders yes yes and yes um uh, a lot of it had to do with pastoral issues that took place and so i had to deal with both pa- mm-hmm. two pastors in this mm-hmm. and um, met with them talked to them and that was um, you know an experience. And then church felt like, um, and many people within the church felt like, because interestingly enough, most of the conflict was a splash over from their conflict. They hadn't Mm -hmm. been in conflict. It was these two that were in conflict. So they felt like um, that if this thing could be, the pastor's thing could be um, helped, then it would bring healing to the church. And so that I makes think sense. That, that makes that, sense. That's, yeah. a, that's a good thing is that if you can identify the source of the conflict, often uh, other people are burned by it, but they're not the cause of it. Let's talk a little bit about biblical examples because that's so important here. That's our model. And particularly where the scriptures talk about how conflict actually gave deeper opportunities for access to the gospel, brought about deeper unity in the church. What What are some things that you you lean on or go to for encouragement and guidance when there's conflict? Yeah. For one thing, I think um, conflict can be created out of theological differences. Mm -hmm. So what do we do when we have a theological difference that the Bible is on your side? Yeah. So let's say you're, you're, let's just say for the sake Mm -hmm. of argument, you're correct. How do you um, reconcile with someone or, how do you deal with the conflict when someone is saying something otherwise in a Sunday school class or they are teaching or saying something that's not correct biblically? How do you do that? Well, we have an example of that in Acts chapter 15, where they came together and they were dealing with a theological issue. And at the end, they came up with a theological statement. Yeah, they had to do with reaching the Jews and what's demanded of the Jews. Correct. And the Jerusalem Council met and and came to the... Uh, an agreement. Yeah, yeah, that was healthy for the church. It defined better what the church uh, is meant to be—a a collective of diverse people from different places, but for a common, yeah. in a common body, the church for a common purpose. That's to worship, fellowship, and to spread the gospel together. Yeah, good. Acts good. chapter ten comes to mind. Acts chapter ten comes to mind, where Peter is instructed by the Spirit of God to go seek Cornelius. Mm-hmm. And so he goes, and he Cornelius being a Gentile, and he, he brings the word of God to Cornelius, which was so um, against Jewish beliefs uh, mm-hmm. to be associated with Gentiles. And he gets in trouble in the 11th chapter. 
in the 11th chapter, they're dealing with this conflict that Peter, in their opinion, did something wrong. Mm-hmm. And so Peter comes to, to the council or the elders and explains what happened. And as a result of that, there was reconciliation uh, with Peter and the other others as he explains that he was led by the Spirit of God to do this very thing. But when you look at it, Peter gets in trouble. Mm-hmm. He gets in trouble with the leaders of the church. And then explanation takes place, and there's reconciliation that occurs. So that's another place. Yeah, and actually what's, what's, what's awesome is how the conflict actually was part of what spread the gospel to the territories that Christ had commanded them to go. Yeah, and uh, you know that that's uh, that's fascinating. So the, the so in that case, conflict created a new path for access for the gospel. Yeah, so they became the conflict they opened their heart now to what you're saying. They mm-hmm. opened their heart to, gosh, look what God is doing among others, and uh, we see in Galatians two, however, that uh, Peter is in conflict with Paul, and when Peter is separating himself from the Gentiles when the Jewish Christians were around. And uh, Paul, the, the um, apostle to the Gentiles, is finding this to be a stumbling block to his ministry, and he gets in his face, and they deal with it. They, they honestly deal with this, this infraction, this prejudice of Peter, and, um, and it turns out for the best. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, you know they, these two men, they don't avoid conflict, if you avoid conflict, it, the, the small fire gets bigger. I'm dealing with a, a situation now where a couple, they've been married for over 20 years, and the conflict uh, that was not dealt with has grown so big that it has now caused this marriage to really come apart, to mm-hmm. unravel, and they're, they're talking about divorce as Christians. Yeah. And that happens so often because because conflicts ignored. Uh, yeah, I've been um, I've I've recently worked with a church that has been in in pretty severe conflict, and I talked a, constantly about how the gospel is the motivation for resolving conflict. Yes, uh, because if conflict is if conflict can be so deep, people are entrenched. It's affecting the mission, yes. and so one of the one of the purposes for urgency for dealing with conflict is that we want to be unified and, and, and committed and focused on, on the gospel message of Jesus Christ. I mean, you see that with Peter, I mean, Paul and his, his conflict with John Mark, Barnabas wanted to take John Mark. For some reason, Paul had issues with John Mark and they, they separate, they agreed to go in different ways. In fact, the term that's used there in their conflict, there is such a sharp disagreement uh, that I think the implication there is this was a really heavy, hard uh, uh, issue that they were facing together. And, um, and so what happened is the conflict actually sent them out in two different directions yeah. uh, to reach more people. <laughs> it's all, always right. fascinating. me. So, so, yeah, the gospel has to be the motivation for, for dealing with conflict. Otherwise, it's selfish. I, I'm gonna, I own this right to this anger. So, no, no, you can't do that. That's the gospel doesn't allow that. And the gospel message at its heart is yeah. that Jesus has forgiven us. And even the Lord's Prayer, forget, forgive us as we forgive those uh, who sin against us. That's one motion there. It's, in fact, I, I've often wondered if, if our forgiving others kind of reveals the seriousness by which we accept our own forgiveness by Christ. 
Yes. You know, if we refuse to forgive others, we're not taking seriously how forgiven uh, we are. How should churches be intentional in preparing for conflict before it happens? Yeah, I, that's a great question. I think um, Thank you. I think a couple, I, I thought about a few things here. Well, I think you should practice the no lying rule. Um, often conflict is created because we're not telling the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. We're leaving something out or we're adding something to it. So I think you have to practice the no lying rule. And I mean, early on in your meetings, your leadership meetings, your team meetings, no lying. That means you don't exaggerate either. So uh, but what, you're, what you're calling for there is for honesty. So if you have an issue with someone, tell the truth. Tell yeah. the truth. Like if you have a conflict with someone, tell the truth. Oh, do we have an issue? No, we really don't. We're good. No, when you do, no, tell the truth. Yeah, we need to talk about this. Yeah, I had so, so many no. cases. Uh, sorry to jump in here, uh, but this this is a conversation. The I had a number of cases where I heard that someone had an issue with me, for example, and I would go to that person who apparently had an issue with me, and they, they were like, oh, no, no, I'm okay. But it's just because they were more comfortable telling other people than talking to me directly. Again, just to validate your point there, the way to prepare intentionally for conflict before it happens is be truthful with one another, even if it's hard stuff that you need to share. Yeah. Good. Anything else? Yeah, I think a couple things here. I think you have to, you know, um, how, how, how can a church be intentional about preparing for conflict? One thing is you create a culture where you value things, like you allow for, you value pushback. You allow people to push back on you, allowing, you allow others time to, to push back. And because they need time to visualize what, what's being proposed. And, and sometimes, you know, conflict interferes with the process because someone just needed more time for clarification. So uh, allow pushback. Allow time for pushback where people are going to, you know, they're going to challenge what you have to say. The other, the other thing is um, you need to, I think you, you prepare it, you prepare yourself and your church. You need to work towards buy-in. What I mean by that is that um, buy-in means that the, the, greater, the greater the buy-in from an individual about what you're saying or proposing, the better. More is better. More buy-in is better. Less is not. Less buy-in creates conflict. And uh, so you've got to work towards buy-in where this person begins to see things as, as you see them or as you hope they will come to see things. Um, and here's, a, here's another one. Accept no for an answer. Accept no for an answer. No, because, because it's expensive. Uh, no, because it's not the right time. Um, it's not in keeping with um, with our values or our demographic or just accept no as an answer and don't get mad. Yeah, pride pride gets in often. People's feelings are hurt, and uh, yeah, there's uh, I think I think teaching on it, preaching on it. There's yeah. plenty in scripture if you're and you should be uh, you know preaching through uh, passages of scripture. It'll come up quite often. And I think, too, being transparent about it, I, if somehow pastors can, and elders can agree to occasionally share how they might have dealt with a, a situation that helps the, the congregation to feel uh, safe and, and protected by the leaders. 
this brings up another point too that um, allows conflict sometimes happen because we don't allow our leaders to le- to lead. Yes, for sure. We don't trust them. We forget that those are appointments to an office that the the, the scriptures God Himself ha- has instituted and has anointed in a sense the the people who are uh, who are in those positions. And uh, so I think one of the things that has brought about conflict in the church is a lack of respect for leadership, forgetting that they are shepherds that God has placed over, over you. And unless there's abuse, then obviously, uh, but, but I like what you're saying that if there's concern, we need elders who are mature enough to say, tell us everything. You know, we want to be an open book. We want you to feel like you can come to us anytime. And uh, that's how we'll, we'll grow together. If, um, if it has happened where a church is currently in the thick of, of conflict, what are some general principles, biblical guidelines that you would see to work through it where the church becomes healthier and stronger uh, okay. because of the conflict? Of course, we would, we would want to apply Matthew 18 to, to conflict where you go and then two goes and then some yep. go and then the church is involved. Um, you know, that, that is just so important and to have this as the, the way in which we wrote this into our constitution. This is how the church handles conflict. We also hmm. know that a soft answer turns away wrath. Hmm. So I think um, being loving is soft answer. You know, Ruth Graham used to talk about the tone of her voice. Mm. And um, how tone is such an important uh, part of communication. So we need to watch our tones. So when a church is in conflict, uh, when it happens, this is uh, something that I would say would be a good thing. Take a break. You know, time helps emotions to rest. Bring Also, bring in outside help. And if possible, covenant with them, agree with them to accept their advice and even to the point of putting it into practice, that the mm. church agrees, we're going to accept this advice and we're going to put it into practice, which means no voting. We're just going to do it because we're going to trust them. And then secondly, um, communications. I mean, gosh, communication is life-giving blood to any organization. The more you can communicate, uh, the better. And um, I found out the hard way we had a big problem with one of our staff members and um uh, and this person really violated some serious policy and uh the elders decided we're going to handle it internally and because it took so long to handle it it seems like seemed like we were keeping secrets mm. and the congregation became impatient and the rumors started and so we i learned that you need to keep people informed constantly about what the deliber- what um, the deliberations, um, what it means, and what's going on with the uh, organ with the uh, uh, leadership, it has to take place. Yeah, one of the things I notice when people try to resolve conflict is they get into a, a circle or circular argument or a conversation that brings them right back to where they started. Yeah, usually because this question is asked: Why did you do this? Why did you do that? And it's a hard question to answer. In fact, I tell my wife that whenever she says, why do you do that? I said, I, I, how, do I, how do you want me to answer that? I mean, I, I, I did it, you know. So yes. one of the things I encourage couples to do or missionaries or pastors that I'm working with, and so if there has been conflict, 
uh, it, rather than saying, why did you do this, which I think brings uh, the other person to, to be defensive, it brings up their defenses, is to, is, to, is to say instead, if you could do it over again, what would you do differently? That's good. And, and that allows some processing to take place where you hear the person out, because if you could hear them say, what would you do over again, it's likely giving them a chance to do some self-assessments. And, and if they ever fall into the same pattern, uh, they'll think about that conversation. Uh, so I, that's one thing I've, I've seen that's helpful is to teach people to uh, really have productive conversations with each other, uh, not the kind that just becomes you know, circular and you're right back to where you started. But again, it, 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 uh, it, there's progress and there's deepening. Uh, one of uh, my, my good friends here is a professor at Tocoa Falls College. His name is Phil Howard, and he, he talks a lot about crucibles that pastors and missionaries, people in ministry face crucibles. I think that phrase kind of describes itself that, you know, these are carrying a cross. Uh, he also refers to as disorienting dilemma. So when pastors face conflict, it disorient them, disorients them. And, and he says that when when people in ministry face crucibles or disorienting events, it either threatens his call or redirects it. Um, how do you how do you see this? Yeah, I think he's 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 correct. Usually, what ha- you know what happens when a pastor is in this situation, they have become so worn out, worn down, uh, mental, physically, spiritually, even health can be be um, crushed. So there's going to be a disorientation that mentally, spiritually, you're not going to think clearly. And it's, um, it, it, and it's, so the pastor begins to even question his own calling. And, and sometimes in that condition, what we, we saw here was one of the pastors um, left the ministry and uh, worked for another industry. When uh, they, w- if you would have asked them two years before, then do you feel called to be a pastor? They would have said yes and uh, was just so chewed up that in that condition, he really was questioning whether or not uh, he was made for this kind of work, mm-hmm. you know? And I think it's, it's really, it's there, this is not, you're not talking about someone who's normal, but who has become abnormal. This describes the abnormal condition of a person that's really bottomed out. Yeah. They'll, they'll, so they'll yeah. You, and I think what, what I'm, what I'm hearing you say, too, is sometimes if a pastor has not been caring for himself and, you know, nurturing his own soul and, and having, you know, relationships in his life to support him, he gets tired, burned out. And then if conflict happens when he's in that condition, it, it can tip him over the edge. Yeah. And uh, so a lot of this, you know, obviously is to encourage the pastor to, uh, uh, to know, I mean, one, one of the things that, to help me to survive, the way I put it is that it kept my sanity, was realizing when I was in conflict with people that, uh, you know, maybe there might have been some elements of it that were me, but for the most part, it was their grid, their filter, their history. I I put it kind of jokingly sometimes that so-and-so didn't have a perfect conflict-free life until they met Mitch Schultz, Uh you know. They probably, it's likely, the, and, and I can say this about people that are antagonistic, is if you talk to other people and hear their story, this has been a pattern. Uh, I've just been the next person in, his, in their path that is sure. uh, you know, threatening their power or whatever it might be. Sure. Uh, so, yeah, good, good answers there. 
what would you say to a church that's in the throngs of conflict or you're talking to a pastor who is leading a church that's uh, in conflict or he himself is in conflict? I think one of the things I would say is that I think injured people are dangerous. Uh, an injured pastor is dangerous in the, not not life-threatening, but dangerous to the um, peace, the shalom of the congregation. If you have elders who are injured, who are hurting, uh, they are dangerous. To the, and they need to take a break. They need to uh, be encouraged to to you know give permission to rest to rest from the conflict. And the pastor, a pastor that's causing real problems. Uh, usually, if you look at what's going on, they've been injured and uh, injured. Animals lash out. They protect themselves. Mm-hmm. And um, what, what if he's healthy and the conflict's in the church? I think um, if he's healthy and the conflict is in the church and if the pastor can work towards reconciliation within that body, yes, he should, he should uh, give himself to it. But uh, I think an assessment is important where one to two years you're taking a look at this. Something, some things can be so healthy some things can be so some churches so unhealthy that the pastor needs to go ahead and make the decision this this is not going to change and i'm not going to be the person to see change a change agent uh, it seems that they're balking at my leadership and i should go ahead and, and tell them i should begin looking for a new place to that i can serve and be effective because i'm ineffective here yeah, until he's done everything he can possibly, because there there are times where a pastor can can be a peacemaker. You know, two elders are you know that's happened to me in 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 at least one church where two elders were not getting along. Sometimes this is conflict that happens outside the church, and so they they can't stand being around each other in the church. Yeah, you know, uh, someone's in debt to the other person. I've seen yeah. that, and oh, yeah. uh, so being a peacemaker, if you know, if if the conflict's towards him and you've done everything. I agree with you that a lot of times this help needs to come from outside. Yeah. And, uh, and I'll, I'll go ahead and mention this, you know, to those listening that uh, I am available to uh, help you. In fact, my ministry, Fruitful Vine Ministry, is about helping hurting churches, hurting pastors. And uh, I'd be eager to have conversations with you uh, to hear what you're going through, but also to maybe uh, develop some steps towards healing because uh, I think oftentimes you do need someone from the outside to help, and, and that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. So a little little plug there for uh, Fruitful Vine Ministry. Steve, any final thoughts before we wrap up here? I think that if a church is in, um, in a bad place and throngs of conflict, a good thing to do is to, uh, develop, to develop a team out of the congregation to look at what's going on and to assess the situation looking back, looking at it, and that let that team come up with some ideas of how, how we can bring about some changes. Yeah, I love that. If, that. if that doesn't work, you bring in an outsider. Um, you, yeah, you bring in an outsider, a fruitful vine ministry. But um, I think developing a team within the church to really, let's, we've got to deal with this. We have more important things to do than to be in conflict. And uh, let's, let's work on this together and then get over it so we can do what God wants us to do. Yeah, one, one thing I meant to mention this earlier, and I'll bring it up here, uh, is that the importance of, I, again, I, I, I go on the assumption, I, I've never really processed this too deeply. It's just This has just been my observation, which can be a little bit subjective, that there, when there's conflict, there is usually an antagonist. 
Yes. There is usually someone who is uh, more in the wrong. Yeah. And uh, I think we're, we're fearful sometimes calling out people who yeah. are, who are uh, damaging, hurting, affecting the, the unity in the body. Yeah. Uh, you know, we try appeasement too much, not, not reconciliation by, you know, Galatians 1, 6, 1 talks about restore gently. Uh, Matthew 18 very clearly talks about, uh, you know, confronting, approaching someone first. But a church, has, a church as a body has a responsibility to not allow uh, people to be disruptive. A family does that with their kids. You know, if, if little junior is, is more misbehaved than the other three kids, uh, but there's the other four, the four of them don't get along, but you know as a parent that the one who keeps stirring this up is, is little junior, you know, you pull him aside and, you know, instruct him on how to behave. If he doesn't, there's discipline. And uh, so I think part of the thing, may, maybe, you know, a great conversation to have with you or uh, maybe you and, and uh, Daryl or some others is just what does discipline look like? How do you confront people? In fact, you know what, that, that needs to be a conversation. We'll, we'll schedule that one. Uh, do you feel like you could speak to that uh, comfortably as well? Well, we've had to deal with, we've had to discipline people. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll tell you what, I, I, um, I'm going to follow up on that. Maybe in the next uh, month or so, we can get Daryl into this, our friend Daryl in the conversation and get his, his deep insight into, uh, into these things and his own experience. So, Steve, thank you so much. You did a great job uh, sorting these things out. I'm better for it, and uh, I really appreciate it. And uh, I miss, miss seeing you, and trust the Lord continues to bless and guide you as you serve him there. Thank you. All right, my friend. Well, there you have it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Before You Quit podcast. If you have any questions or comments, I'd love to hear from you. You can email me at mitch at beforeyouquit.us. And also, if you want to look at uh, blogs that I've written on many, many different subjects related to ministry, uh, you can go to my website, which is www.beforeyouquit.us. And of course, you can listen to a lot of podcasts that I've done there, too. So until next time, stay encouraged and be courageous because serving Jesus is worth all that hard stuff that comes with it. And remember what we're told in 1 Corinthians 15, 57 through 58. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So until next time, stay encouraged.